My Other Face by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 8, The Translucent Corpse of Jamie Pendleton. The souls did from their bodies fly. They fled to bliss or woe. And every soul, it passed me by, like the whiz of my crossbow. The rhyme of the ancient mariner, Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Albert Dupont carried his daughter from the station wagon into his 18th century white farmhouse. He stoically trudged his way up three flights of stairs to the unused bedroom on the third floor. As he set her down on the brass bed, her mother came in from behind and tucked her under five layers of blankets. Maybe we should turn up the heat in here, she suggested to her husband. I've told you a hundred times, Harriet. It isn't needed up here. The heat rises from below. We have to watch our money. Price of oil. All right, all right, she said, giving in as her son Ben came bounding up the stairs. Ben was a well-built ex-marine who prided himself on his physical condition. Kids are in the guest room, he told them. Good, said Dupont as he ushered them out of the room and closed the door. I'm going to check on them, said Harriet Dupont as she went down the narrow stairs to the second floor landing. She really has problems, Dad, said Ben to his father as they too went down the creaky wooden stairs. Well, it certainly doesn't come from my side of the family. I just don't understand it. Girl was brought up right, taught her to do everything right, he said. Marta slept soundly for a few hours. The drug lost its effect, however, and she partially opened her eyes to the luminous orange dial of the alarm clock. It was past three o'clock in the morning, and the emotional experience as well as the residue drug effects left her drained. She was only half awake to the world. She opened her eyes fully. The giant oak branches outside the farm windows were blowing in the wind like the nimble fingers of a skeletal hand. She sat up, frightened by her own surroundings, and it took a moment to comprehend just where she had been. Home. They brought me home. They brought me back here somehow. Third floor room. The worst room. The coldest. No one ever sleeps up here unless all the relatives come down from Quebec. Away from the rest of the house. Weissman. Where the hell is Bernie? And Jamie? Jamie's dead. Oh dear God, Jamie's dead. Bloody car. Blown apart. No, no, no. He can't really be dead. It's a dream. It must have been a dream. Not Jamie. Not Jamie. He can't be dead. My children. Where the hell are my children? Where the hell are my children? She yelled as she pushed her fingers up through her thick hair. Sandra! Mitchell! She called, throwing back the covers and leaping out of the bed. The room's only light was from the moonlight. Cast across the wooden floorboards, she ran across the room and thrust open the door. Where are my children? She cried out into the winding wooden staircase, bounding down the stairs and almost slipping past to the second floor landing, screaming loudly as her father and Ben ran from the bedroom. But she passed them and ran directly down the stairs, through the adjacent hallway into the kitchen. Marta, Marta! Kids are up here, shouted Ben as he chased her down the stairs. Marta opened the outside door and ran into the freezing air. Ben did not catch her until she was halfway down the frozen dirt drive, clutching onto the door of the station wagon and still screaming. My children, 
She bellowed as he grabbed her, but she kept struggling, unaware that he was even her brother. Meyer, it's all right, it's all right, said Ben. No, no, they must be dead, like Jamie. Where are they? Where's Jamie? Meyer, listen to me. It's Ben. Benny, is it you? Is it really you? She said, and then she began to weep on his shoulder. Oh, Benny, they've killed Jamie, they've killed Jamie. Mata, the kids are sleeping on the second floor bedroom. Everything's going to be all right now. You're home with us. Benny, help me. Help me, Benny. I'm right here. I'm right here. Let's get back in the house, he said slowly. He led her over the ice and back toward the kitchen door. Her father abruptly opened the door at the last second before they reached the threshold. Come on, let's not heat the outside, he said as the two came back in the kitchen. Going back upstairs now, Mara, back to bed. Everything will be all right in the morning. Daddy, she asked, her eyes moist as she hugged her father. The elder DuPont, who refrained from bodily contact, stood rigidly as she hugged him. What the hell are you doing running outside like that? Dad, exclaimed Ben, pulling her back. Can't you see she's upset? He shouted back at his father. That is no excuse for behavior like that, blasted her father as Ben led her out of the room and into the hallway. He's yelling at me again, she cried as they began climbing the stairway. Never mind him, I'm with you now, Mata. Going upstairs. Upstairs to bed, she said, babbling like a little child. Upstairs to bed, be a good girl, Mata. It's past your bedtime. Say your prayers and brush your teeth. Do all the good things that little girls must do. He pulled her head next to his shoulder as he felt tears in her eyes. She was so helpless now, rambling, as if she had lost her mind. He had to protect her like he had been taught to do. He's dead, you know, Marta continued. I can't believe this is happening. Jamie's dead, you know. Dead, 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 she said as they made it to the second floor landing and her mother emerged from the children's bedroom on the right. She raised her hands to her mouth as her vociferous daughter was brought by her. Marta was so confused she failed to see her mother's image in the dim light. They walked on by, turning up the narrower staircase to the third floor bedroom. You're a good brother, Benny. My brother will help me find him. What did they do to him, Benny? We'll find him, Marta, we'll find him. The air grew colder as they marched around the wooden staircase and through the open door. Ben reached over and turned on the light switch, and the room assumed a different dimension. There were no mysteries, no hidden shadows, no unknown things. Once again, she got into bed and pulled the heavy blankets over her. Her eyes were still moist, and her doubts remained. You're a good boy, Ben, she mumbled, half smiling as he kissed her forehead. He turned on the radio on the end table and twisted it to the late-night rock station, stopping at the sound of a mellow, smooth-talking disc jockey. His demeanor was just what Marta needed right now. FM 92, Manchester Concord, the world's softest music for your late-night listening pleasure. It's WPJD offers you, the listener, 15 minutes of uninterrupted commercial-free music. Pleasant, soft music. Relax and enjoy. FM 92, said the announcer, who sounded more like a hypnotist. I'll be right downstairs, Mater, if you need anything, right in the bedroom. She nodded as the soft music began to play on the radio. Marta watched Ben move toward the door and shut off the light switch. 
The light remained inside her eyes for a moment as he gently closed the door. Outside, Elba DuPont stood next to the first step. Well, lock the goddamn door, he whispered to Ben. Lock the door? What if she has to get out? Just my point, said the larger man as he moved by his son. Now I don't believe this, said Ben as he let his father go by and lock the door to the room. You're unbelievable, you know that? What do you think she's gonna do? You listen to me, Benjamin. That girl up there is crazy. That girl is your daughter, he replied for the first time raising his voice above a whisper. And there's nothing wrong with her that a little relaxation and counseling won't clear up, he said as he followed his father down the stairs. Counseling nothing, said his father as they reached the landing. She needs to be sent away. You're the one who's nuts, shouted Ben. That isn't how you deal with emotional problems. If you go crazy, you get locked away. That's what I was taught, and that's the rule I'll follow. Well, she'll never be locked up, not as long as I'm around to stop it. We'll see about that, said his father as he moved toward his son. You don't frighten me. You used to, but not anymore. I could level you with one swift boot to your face, so just leave me alone and leave Mater alone. He yelled as he went into the bedroom and slammed the door. They're yelling downstairs. Because of me, they're yelling. He hates me. I know he hates me. And she does too. Benny will help me. Benny will help me. She pulled the covers up to her eyes and crunched her body in a fetal position underneath for added warmth. They could yell all they wanted, but she was determined to ignore it all now. And she was going to put Jamie's death out of her mind. Rest was the only thing that could help her now with whether or not she really had seen him dead. Maybe it was just a flash in her mind. She closed her eyes and tried to sleep. It was a futile effort. Too much was brewing inside of her. Even the soft music was not helping. And she opened her eyes, staring at the ever-moving oak branches. Their shadows swept across the moonlit floor. Perhaps Jamie wasn't dead, she thought, as the indistinct shapes danced around the room, taking on added dimensions to her tortured mind. Maybe she would wake in the morning and Jamie would be down there, downstairs in the kitchen, having pancakes and coffee. All would be fine and dandy and they could begin their vacation. It would be the best vacation ever. And they would return to California with a new sense of purpose, new dreams that would sustain them through the rest of their lives. Soft music played on and on. Everyone was now sleeping and dreaming. Jamie was alive and well. It was a waiting game now, to stay awake without fear until the morning light burst through the window. She knew she was not going to sleep. Problems were unsolved and she sensed her own insanity. That left her to gaze around the room. Pulling the covers up to her chin, she could see the half-visible pieces of furniture and the ornate swirls of her uncle's framed oil painting. It was a nighttime world in which she could imagine a thousand different things. Something had changed. She was sure that she saw something change. She sat up in bed and her brown eyes opened wide as the tree outside stopped shaking in the wind. The moonlight seemed to be growing brighter, assuming a dingy yellow appearance across the floor. As afraid as she was, she pulled the covers back and got out of the bed. Something was outside and she had no idea what it could be. She edged her way to the window as the light grew brighter. Shielding her eyes, she moved up against the glass and looked across the yard, and then toward town, past the barren apple orchards, 
This was the key to answer her mystery. It was something she had never seen before. Hundreds of intense, pea-sized balls of light were encompassing the yard. It was as if their full intensity was even brighter, and some kind of screen-like smoke glass was hiding their potential brightness. Although each of the balls of light were moving individually, the entire mass seemed to be swirling like a poisonous gas floating across an open field. The moonlight was subordinate now to this drifting mass as it headed toward the house. She backed away from the window, unable to piece together what was occurring in the yard. And the room became cold, colder than she could have imagined. And she shivered as the mass neared the house. Her mouth became dry and tight as this unknown force seemed to be taking over the room. She kept her chin upward, preparing to run it at a moment's notice. But she was stuck. Every muscle in her body was locked. She screamed as loudly as possible, but no sound came out of her parched throat, and she thought her stomach was going to rip apart with fear. This isn't real, Mother. It can't be real. You're out of your mind. That's good. That's real good. Better to be crazy than to have this be real. It can't harm you. It just is not real. Tiny P-shaped balls floated outside the window. She could see them vividly, and to her complete shock, they began moving right through the wall itself, slowly, as if it were a second-by-second second torture of her afraid emotions, they drifted across the room. Her eyes were forced open and she fought to close them, but it was impossible. They were only inches from her now, still appearing as if they were behind a sheet of darkened glass. As far as she could see, they had no mass, but they seemed to stretch downward, upward, and inward. It was truly like nothing she had ever witnessed before in her life. She braced herself as they were going to touch her, but they passed right through her like an x-ray. There was no pain, in fact there was no feeling at all. They kept advancing, and she endured the barrage for several minutes. The last reflections were still evident as they passed behind her and out of the house, but the cold was so intense that she began to ache. It appeared to be over. They were gone but she was still held in tow by whatever force they possessed. And she wondered why she hadn't passed out. The moonlight shined through the window again. The silver light became clouded in a deep green hue. Something else was outside, in back of the oak trees. She could see it now, glowing like the eerie green pile rods underwater in a nuclear reactor. And this green cloud, too, was on its way to the house. It seemed to have more of a definite shape but it was impossible to tell at the distance. Her brown eyes remained open and she was silent. Her mind, however, was running like an uninterrupted ticker tape, shouting and echoing into the depths. More, there's more, why is there more? Haven't I endured enough, haven't I, God? Why are you punishing me? Why did you let me go on like this? Am I in hell? I must have died and gone to hell. God has sent me to hell for being wicked. I am wicked. I am evil. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great or because I hadn't gotten much, if I looked at the sun when it shone or the moon moving in splendor, and my heart has been secretly enticed, and my mouth has been kissed by my hand, this would also be inequity to be punished by the judges. If I should have been false to God above, if I have rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me or exalted when evil overtook him. Oh, it's moving this way. 
coming right down the window. A man's body. A man with light blonde hair. It's his body. Oh dear God, it's his body. The translucent corpse of Jamie Pendleton moved directly toward Marta, just like the tiny objects. She was held in place as the green haze spread about the room, and his body was suspended within the haze. His forehead was neatly opened as if by a surgeon's knife. Inside his skull, behind the layers of peeled back bone and flesh, was one of the tiny balls of light. His eyes stared intently, even though he was stone cold dead, and the inner layer glowed through the layers of tissue, producing a paper-thin red iridescence about his iris. His lower jaw still was ripped away from his teeth, and the bloody teeth were hanging in a hideous grin that threatened to melt away the center of her own heart. The bullet-punctured corpse moved forward, drifting lifelessly on a collision course with his very much alive and terrified wife. This grotesque form was nose to nose with her now, his face flushed with hers. She could not stop the advance, nor could she close her eyes from it. Her mind threatened to burst apart as the dead man's face passed right through her. It was followed by the green haze which now hung in the air near the bed. A short time later, all movement came back to her and she slowly broke the seemingly impossible grip. The body, still in mid-air, hovered toward the sidewall. As she twisted and turned the knob, she could see the mutilated corpse across the room. She put her back against the door, breathing rapidly as her husband's form passed right through the outside wall and then disappeared. Get away! Get away! Marta! Marta! cried Ben as he ran up the stairs and unlocked the door. She backed away from the door as he came running inside. He looked around the room for a couple of seconds, ready to defend her. Instead, he was dumbfounded by all the excitement. The Marta was shaking like the oak trees outside and still screaming. He's dead! He's dead! He came right in through this room, floated through the air, his body all ripped apart like in the car. All the things, the, those, those, those bundles of light, the bundles. Ben could not possibly understand anything she was telling him. He held her and began stroking her hair. He knew that her mind was devastated for whatever reason and she needed his attention. What is going on up here now? Asked her father as he came into the room. Nothing, go back downstairs, yelled Ben, knowing what his father's reaction would be. I hear yelling and your mother hears yelling. What do I tell her? It was a late night television program. Marta had a nightmare, all right? No, it's not all right. It was no nightmare, she cried as she pushed Ben away. I saw Jamie and those bundles of light. They came floating through the window and into the room. First the bundles and then Jamie. They were bright little capsules of light. And he had one of them right in his hand. It glowed out of his eyes a tiny red glow around the outside of his eyes. Yeah, sure it did, snapped her father. I give up. You handle this, Ben. I'm in no mood for clowning around, he added as he went downstairs. I want to get away. I don't want them to come back. I don't want his dead body to come back, she told Ben, and he moved closer again. Mata, Mata, I'm here now. You don't have to worry. But the bundles, they listen to me. Listen, I'm going to protect you. I'm right beside you. 
but she didn't understand. She was still breathing quickly through a constant flow of tears. This unexplainable event had just scared her half to death, and she didn't know how to handle it, nor did she even want to think about it, because it could mean that she was really losing her mind now. Her father certainly thought so. Am I crazy, Ben? She asked him. No, 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 you're not crazy, he told her. You're just a little tired, maybe confused. Get me out of here, Benny, out of this room. Just get me out. Okay, okay, we'll go downstairs. Way down, to the kitchen. I'll light the fireplace and we'll have something to eat. You're a good brother, Benny, she said as he shut off the radio and they went below. Ben held her up most of the way down the stairs. Going right into the kitchen, he said, reassuring her. Nobody believes me. I know nobody believes me, she muttered. Ben brought her into the kitchen and sat her down in the chair in front of the fireplace. He put some wood in the ember bed and started the fire. She began rambling again about her life as he popped some bread into the toaster. How can I even open my mouth when I say such outrageous things? It's all too crazy. People dying and floating back to life and bundles of light inside their heads. I knew he'd die. I knew it. You believe me, don't you, Benny? I believe you. He said as he blew on the newspaper he had put under the logs. Even Weissman doubts me. I know he must. How can you really believe me? I do. I do. He said as the fire caught on. He moved on his knees and held her hands tightly. Mater, I do believe you. Now tell me one more time what happened. I told you already. Bright lights from the outside coming into the room, holding me in place so I couldn't get away. You didn't tell me that held you. Well, it did. It all happened. The bundles came in, she said as the fire began to blaze. And hundreds of them. When they got close, it looked like you could see forever into them. I was held. Even after they left, I was held, she said as the toast popped up. But he dared not leave her. Then the smoky green light and Jamie floating like he was on water or something. You ever seen those bundles before? No! When you did get away, when was it? After he passed by. Her eyelids felt heavy. It's all right now, said Ben as he pulled her down and nestled her on his lap. He stroked her hair as she slowly drifted off in the warm heat of the fiery blaze. And then she was asleep in his arms, needing that simple human touch to help her make it through the long hours of the night. Join us next time for Maya the Face by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.